And you're probably right. So I'm going to entrust with some of you young minds to remind me if I fail, you know, with respect to the quiz next week. So about 20 years ago, I heard a highly regarded uh, pastor theologian in the States say something that I've never forgotten. Uh, I didn't know how I felt about it when he said it. It was one of those things I heard. I kind of thought he was right, but I didn't want to believe it. You know, uh, you hear these things sometimes. I gave him a lot of credibility. He's a well-known, he's dead now, pastor in the States, theologian. He was highly regarded uh, many, many, many years in the church. So, he wouldn't say something like this lightly, but I didn't want to believe it. I didn't want to believe that it was true. Well, 20 years hence, I now know that what he said was in fact true. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've heard it with my own ears. I've experienced it uh, with people who are close to me. And this is what that old pastor theologian said. Many professing Christians who finally get around to reading their Bibles discover they don't like the God of the Bible at all. Now, that's not something you want to believe is true. But sadly, I have to report to you, I've been in ministry for three decades. It is true. I'll repeat it for you. Many professing Christians who finally get around to reading their Bibles discover they don't really like the God of the Bible at all. Many who profess to be Christians, they are members of some church somewhere. They attend some so-called church somewhere. They profess to believe in and worship Jesus Christ. But what you find out if you're in the ministry long enough, and if you've been in the church long enough, you know this is true as well. That many people have a caricature of Jesus in their heads, right? It doesn't have anything to do with the biblical Jesus. They have a cartoon Jesus, a pseudo-Jesus in their head. It's the one they like better. They don't like all the hard stuff the biblical Jesus says. So they begin to, yeah, push Him out. They stop submitting to the Word of God and they start standing over the Word of God and judge the Word of God. Judge the words of Jesus Christ. They just don't like the real one. I want you to call me a Christian and I want to talk about Jesus, but not the real one. Not the real one. There are a host of reasons professing Christians bail on the biblical God. I don't have time to list them. I'll give you a few. Uh, this has been my experience with people. They don't like God's solitariness. That's a phrase that many of you won't be familiar with. It just simply means that, that God is infinitely happy and He doesn't need you. Some people feel the need. It makes some people uncomfortable. They, they want to be needed by God. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me. God doesn't need anyone. He's infinitely happy and self-satisfied in and of Himself. Some people don't like 
the sovereignty of the biblical God, meaning that Ephesians 1.11 is true, that He works all things after the counsel of His will. This makes people uncomfortable who prefer to exalt man's free will over God's free will. You know, you always hear this argument in the church about free will. But nobody's protecting God's free will. You never hear that, right? This makes some people... God's complete and total and absolute sovereignty makes some people uncomfortable. Now, we saw it last week in Psalm... What was the Psalm last week? 103, I think. That He is the great sovereign God who reigns in heaven and earth. Some people don't like that God is inscrutable. What does inscrutable mean? You young adults should know. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. What does inscrutable mean? Past understanding. He's past finding out. He's, he's mysterious. Now, that's something I love about the God of the Bible. I love that He's mysterious. Listen, when you're out in the world and you're talking to your friends and they ask you a question, you can't, you know, the Trinity is always the best example. How do you explain the Trinity? Nobody can explain the Trinity. You're not supposed to explain the Trinity. The Trinity is God. You can't explain God. Well, some people want to be able to understand all that God is doing and why God is doing it. Well, He's never going to tell you. Right? He's never going to tell you. God doesn't bring mankind into His confidence in a complete and total sense. Some don't like the providential purposes of God. Simply meaning, and I hear this all the time as a pastor, uh, even from some people who pass through ICM, but mostly in the world, people who simply don't like the way God's running His universe. They think they know better. They know better than God. I hear this all the time. And I want to say, really? <laughs> really? What does the Scripture say about God? A God of infinite mind. And you got two and a half pounds of gray matter. You know better? Isn't it arrogant, beloved? The arrogance of mankind is stunning. It is stunning. The arrogance of mankind. Before God. The list goes on and on the assorted reasons people don't like the biblical Jesus. But maybe the most offsided reason that people who profess to be Christians bail on the God of the Bible, and I'm going to call them pretenders. And I'm going to call them this for a reason, because at the end of this at the end of the message, there's a, a very specific verse about those who pretend with God, right? Um, but the most off-sided reason, in my experience as a minister for three decades, they don't like His uncompromising holiness and righteousness. They don't like it that He, want, he will not wink at their sin. He, they don't like that. They don't like His hatred and fierce wrath against all sin. They don't like that. They don't like the many mentions of, as I just said, His fierce wrath. They don't like that the Bible teaches the biblical Jesus talks about judgment and eternal punishment. They hate that. They still want to be called Christians, but they jettison all of that biblical truth, right? They just jettisoned that and 
they have their own caricature of Jesus in their head. Their own cartoon Jesus in their head. They will not humble themselves before the Word. And this is something I always challenge everybody that comes through here. You have to decide, is this God's Word or not? And if it's God's Word, are you going to submit to it? There's no point in this pretense of playing like you're a Christian if you're not going to submit to this. It's what He said. Oh, Jim, how do we know that that Bible's not contaminated with human error? Well, really what you're saying is God's not God enough to reveal and preserve His Word. That's really what you're saying. When you disparage the Word of God, you are disparaging the God of the Word. I want you to be very humble about this and very careful about this. Don't you dare set yourself up as judge. This is what many denominations do. They stand up over the Word of God and they say, well, we we like this part, this is wrong. We like this part, this is wrong. We'll not teach this. We don't like it. Apostate churches all over the world. You know, you hear some people say, well, my God would never do that. I've heard this before. My God would never do that. And really, when you hear that kind of talk, what you're hearing is someone talk about their God. It's their cartoon God. It's my cartoon Jesus. Right? Oftentimes, that is what you are encountering. So, you guys know this if you know your Bibles. This is not a new development. <laughs> this is not a new development. This was going on in the Old Testament. Let me just read a quick verse for you. Isaiah 30, verses 9 and 10. The people said, or God says through His prophet. For this is a rebellious people, they're false sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord, who say to the prophets, you must not prophesy to us what is right. Listen to what they said. Don't tell us the truth. We don't want the truth. Speak to us in pleasant words and prophesy in delusions. This is why false churches abound. Right? This is why people can attract 30,000 people to a basketball stadium because He's preaching what people want to hear. I'm not saying that a good preacher couldn't couldn't attract 30,000 people to come and hear the truth of God. But you know what? My experience, not not a lot of people are really interested in the truth. it's 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 like the Old Testament Jews during Isaiah's era. Same is true in the New Testament. If you know your New Testament, you know that the, the apostles were fighting false teachers from the very beginning. Paul said it will be the same for us. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to, oh, guess what? Myths. The mythical Jesus is everywhere. Right? The the mythical Jesus who will save everybody. There'll be no judgment. There'll be no um, consequence for sin. The mythical Jesus. But of course, the psalmist of Psalm 94, he holds to the true God. He holds to the true God. 
He cries out, O Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. I've been reminding you what this means. In the Old Testament, it's a reference to Yahweh. It's the Old Testament name for God. They're talking about I am the transcendent God, the Creator God, the God who is sovereign over heaven and earth, the God who was, who is, and is to come. This is the God that the psalmist knows. And I'll just stop and ask you. Maybe you've heard enough. You can make a dichotomy in your own mind right now. Do you love the cartoon Jesus? Or are you all in with the biblical one? It's a big decision. Well, you know, eternity hangs on this. What does Jesus say? Matthew chapter 7. There will be many who say to me, Lord, Lord, and I will say to them, Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, because I don't know you. I tell you all the time, right? What is the, the bottom line essence of born again Christianity? Is it getting the creed right? Is it doing the baptism? Is it partaking of the, the, the Lord's Supper? I mean, what's the bottom line? Do I, is it perfect attendance at church? I mean, what's the bottom line? The bottom line is relationship. It's always relationship. Yes, it's important to be orthodox, to believe right things. That's important. You have to believe right things to, to, to know the God rightly, to know the God of the Bible rightly. But even orthodoxy, that's not the ultimate test. The test is do you know Him? Do you love Him? Do you walk with Him? Do you talk with Him? That's, that's the ultimate test. John 17.3, you can check me on that if you like. I'm going to reread verses 1 and 2. And I'm going to park on them. So don't get disturbed thinking Jim's never going to make it to the end of the psalm. Okay? I am going to make it to the end of the psalm, but I'm going to park a long time on verses 1 and 2. Because I haven't talked to you in a long time about judgment that I can recall. And I, 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 it's, it's an important doctrine that God emphasizes. God emphasizes. So I feel like it's my duty to... But don't be alarmed. I'm going to park on verse 1 and 2 for a while, but I will get you out on time more or less, whatever that is. Verses 1 and 2, Psalm 94. O Lord, God of vengeance. Well, some of you already don't like it, right? <laughs> There's probably a handful of people in this small group that already don't like this. It's why Brad Pitt left the church, my understanding. I think Oprah, Winfrey as well. They don't like this God. I don't want to talk about this God. Right? God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine forth! The psalmist says, shine forth! Excl uh, exclamation point. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render recompense to the proud. So, God of vengeance. Twice. Not once. Twice. He's making a point. Repetition is always driving you to the main point. Repetition in the Bible drives you to the main point. The God of vengeance. The God of vengeance. What, what is God communicating to us 
here. Simply that He is a holy God. Pretenders hate this. They hate this. They hate it that God is perfectly holy. And you can't go into His presence unless you're perfectly holy. Oh, guess what? None of us are, right? So, oh, what's our, what's our pathway to the Father? We already know, don't we as Christians? Jesus Christ. We must have a Savior. We must have a Savior. There is no pathway to the Father apart from the Son. It does not exist. It does not exist. So He's a holy God. Habakkuk 1.3 says, God's eyes are too pure to approve evil. He cannot look on wickedness with favor. Mankind's sin is so unspeakably heinous before God. Let me read Psalm 5.5 to you. God hates all who do iniquity. Psalm 7.11 God is angry with the wicked every day. What does vengeance mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? It's not about uncontrolled vindictiveness. What does it mean in the context of the Bible? What is the psalmist saying? What is the Hebrew saying to us? It's justice. That's the core meaning here. He is the God of justice. Everyone gets perfect justice. You know, I hear this sometimes, these, these folks on YouTube and whatever, uh, you hear these discussions and, 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 and the, the naivete. People say, I want justice from God. No, you don't. You'll be in hell forever if you get justice from God. That's how grievous your sin is before Him, beloved. I know this is like, people don't preach this much anymore. You don't want justice. What, what do we want? We need Jesus. We must have Jesus. It's what the doctrine of hell and the wrath of God drives the thinking person to. I must have a Savior. It's the whole point of the Bible. It's the whole point of history. Jesus Christ the Savior. Right? It's the whole point of human history, beloved. <coughs> We're talking about justice. And what does it mean? I, I looked at the Hebrew again. Vengeance. It's defined as this. The justified act of paying back a wrong for a wrong incurred. It's a justified act of payback for a wrong incurred. Man has sinned against his Creator. And there will be perfect recompense for every sin of every man and woman. Perfect recompense. In hell forever or in Jesus Christ? Every moral account will be settled by God in hell forever or in the finished work of Jesus. Some people ask me the question, and I think I've told you this before. I would love it if maybe you could answer. I know I put you on the spot a lot, but uh, I'm a gracious grader. Why is a sin committed in time worthy of eternal punishment? Now some 
astute person in the world is going to ask you this question. Oh, you're a Bible believer? Well, why? Why should sin that I commit in time be worthy of eternal punishment? What's the answer? So you need to know this answer. You need to talk to Bertha. She'll bring you up to speed. Because your offense is against an infinite being, right? You know, as John Piper says, if you offend a toad, it's not a big deal. You offend God, it's a big deal forever. Amen? It's a big deal forever because He's an infinite and eternal being. Any offense against this God incurs infinite and eternal punishment. It's not only theological, it's, it's rational. Jesus says, in very broad strokes, I don't have time to go into it, but Jesus says regarding hell, and you know, if you know your Bibles, you realize Jesus spoke more about hell than anybody else and everybody else combined. This is why people walk away from the biblical Jesus. One reason, right? I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. I was listening to Francis Chan this week. Uh, I like him. He's a, he's a famous preacher in the States. But he, he made a confession. He said, I went back and studied. Somebody published a, a heretical book about, about hell didn't exist, blah, blah, blah. So Francis Chan took that opportunity to go back and uh, get back into it and study it for himself. <clears throat> and he said, I realized how brutally frank Christ is about this. And he said, I have to make a confession. He said, I thought, Lord Jesus... I could help you be a better communicator about this. You're being too hard. I can make people like you more. Do you understand what he's confessing? He's confessing that, you know, in the past he's, he's kind of couched the truth to make it more acceptable to his hearers. And he said, I had to repent. This is always wrong for the preacher to do but in very broad strokes, Jesus says, hell is real. It is deserved. It is terrible. It is eternal. And it is inescapable once you are there. Beloved, these are the red words. Do you love the red words in the Bible? These are the words of God. You say, Jim, if you would preach a happier sermon... I might could get some people to come with me here. Listen, my job is I have to tell him, I have to stand in front of him, right? I have to stand in front of him. That's my job. And give an account for what I preach to whoever walks in that door. I know I could get a bigger crowd. If, if we were into people pleasing and tickling ears, I know we could get a bigger crowd. If we did promotions and... Listen, I'm not interested in any of it. I would love to have a bigger crowd. You know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you like what God says or I like what God says. At the end of the day, what's the deal? Did God say it? And I, am I man enough to tell you what God says? Or am I so weak and afraid that I'm afraid the church will fold if I preach hard truth? Well, yeah. You shouldn't be in the ministry if that's where you are. Listen, I preached on this two years ago. A whole sermon on hell. I preached it in November 2014. And if you have questions about hell, it's on the podcast site. The podcast site is called Podcast 
Jim, no, Pastor Jim podcast. Okay. Thank you, IT guy. And it's entitled, it's just entitled Hell, Jude 7. If you have questions, go listen to it. And if you have questions afterward, come talk to me. But here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to bail on the Bible and on the words of Jesus Christ. I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to do that. So I did this in-depth study two years ago, much as Francis Chan did. And let me tell you the takeaway. I had never worshipped God like I worshipped God after that deep, deep study on hell. When you look at a hard, a hard teaching like eternal punishment, you can either look at it through a man-centered lens or we'll say a me-centered lens, or we can look at it through a God-centered lens. If we look at it from a man-centered lens, we are very tempted to say that eternal conscious suffering cannot be just, so the Bible cannot possibly be teaching it. I understand that. If you're looking from a man-centered perspective. But here's what I came back from after studying about the wrath, eternal wrath of God. If we look at God's greatness in the Bible, we are compelled to say that if Jesus Christ is God and He says eternal punishment in hell is real, then it must be just. It's not whether I can do the mental gymnastics and make it seem just to me. That's always wrong. That's the wrong way to look at the Bible. You have to look at the Bible from God's perspective. God says it is just, so it must be just. Therefore, how infinitely... Listen, if you get there in your mind, then I want to say this to you. Therefore, how infinitely incomprehensible is the holiness of God. And how infinitely heinous is the evil of my sin before this God. And how infinitely blameworthy it must be to treat the glory of God with contempt. What infinite glory and purity God must have that everlasting suffering is the just and fitting punishment for dishonoring Him and disobeying Him. What a stunning, lastly, what a stunning, shocking, amazing, breathtaking, unbelievable thing it is that the Son of God took the punishment for my sin. Right? Beloved, I know we are all guilty of thinking lightly about our sin. I know we are. It is not a small matter to God. It is an infinite offense before God. One more thing I want to say about this. There's this long-standing misconception in the church that, that hell is a scare tactic that the preacher uses to scare people into heaven, right? You can't scare people into heaven. It doesn't work like that. It's never worked like that. It's not a scare tactic, right? You can't scare anyone to heaven. The people who end up in heaven, what? It's not because they're scared. It's because they love Christ. It's because they love Christ. Being scared of hell doesn't necessarily mean you love Christ. Fear of hell is no proof of love 
for God. So I'm just going to ask you, how do you come to the Bible on hard things? How will you come to the Bible when it talks about eternal punishment? Will you come to it with your man-centered or me-centered lenses, or will you come to it humbly, letting God be God, letting God say what God needs to say, and you bowing to it? Is that how you will come to God? I want to say one more thing about it. We're going to move on. Wow, I really use up a lot of time here. Um, when you discount the Bible, the biblical teaching on hell, this is not. These are not merely the words of an apostle or an associate of Jesus or a brother of Jesus or an early church father. These are the words of God Himself. These are the words of God Himself. Okay, back to the text. Psalm 1 and 2. Psalm 1 and 2. Did you notice it's a prayer? It's a prayer. He's praying to God, right? What kind of prayer is it? My favorite kind. It's a God-will prayer. This is the will of God that He'll show forth His wrath against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. It's a, it's a prayer. It's for God's will. It's for God's vengeance to shine forth. It's for, for God, to the, the judge of the world, to render perfect recompense to all who have rebelled against Him. There are many places I could go to make this point. I'm going to quickly go to Romans 1 and 2. Don't, you don't need to follow me there. Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is being revealed. I just said it to you. Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. So God's wrath is shining forth in the fact that men die. Men were created to die. Men were not created to die. We were created to live. Why do we die? Because the wages of sin is death. But how does that passage, Romans 23, uh, chapters, pardon me, chapter 6, verse 23, finish? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, God is shining forth His wrath, but at the same time, what is He doing? He's offering grace and mercy. I tell you all the time, this is the day of grace. All who would repent and believe get Christ. If they'll come to Christ, they get Christ. They get the grace of God. Wrath is being revealed. Men are dying. There's calamity in the world. Wrath is being revealed. But grace is being offered, beloved. Grace is being offered. This is a beautiful, beautiful truth. So what does it mean to recompense? It means to render what is due, as I said to you earlier. Let me move on. Verses 3-6. to I've already read this part of the text to you. I will not reread it. The psalmist is complaining because the wicked seem to be prospering against the people of God, right? That is his complaint. How long, God, will you allow the wicked to afflict your people? Well, God answers this in Revelation 6.10. What does He say? Anybody remember? A little while longer. It's what God says to the, to the martyrs who are already in heaven. They're saying, how much longer will you allow it? And God says, just a little while longer, right? Well, till, till He's done. Till He's through with human history. Till He comes back. The Bible is clear. There will always be persecution and martyrdom for those who claim to be Christians. I know that most of us in here 
Some of us may go back to dangerous countries. But most of us in here will never face martyrdom. But the Bible is clear. You will face persecution, right? Paul's very clear about this in his letter to Timothy. He's very clear. Anyone who desires to live godly will be persecuted. It's, it's not maybe. It, it will happen. The question for you and I is, not will it come. The question is, will you be ready to stand when it comes? Will you be ready to stand when it comes? 7-11. through 11. <clears throat> The fool says, God doesn't see. God doesn't hear. God doesn't know. Well, you know, three places in the Old Testament, maybe more, I saw three in my studies this week. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Well, this is not a, an intellectual thing as much as it is a practical thing. Uh, this is not a theoretical statement of atheism. It's a practical statement of atheism. What the Hebrew is really saying is, I'll have no God over me. That's really what he's saying. He's not saying there's not a God. Any thinking person can look at the world, the cosmos, their own inner workings of their body, and realize there's a God. It's not that hard. We didn't come from, yeah, yeah, that, the, the scum, the pond scum. Okay, uh, anybody that has any rational ability at all understands that there is a God. That's not what it's saying. It's saying, I won't have this God over me. And so we're back to the pretenders, right? I will not have this God over me. I don't like this God. I'm going to have a cartoon Jesus. I'm going to have the mythical Jesus. The, the text says they are senseless and they are stupid. Verse 12 through 14, I have already read to you. Blessed is the man whom the Lord chastens and teaches out of His Word that God may grant him relief from the days of adversity. When I read that, my mind went immediately to Psalm 119. You guys know, if you know Psalm 119. The verse, verse 1 of Psalm 119. It's 176 verses, right? It goes on and on and on. The, the very first verse is, Happy are those who walk in the law of the Lord. You say, Jim, I'm not happy. Well, that's probably your fault. Are you meditating on the living God and all the promises He's made to you? Are you meditating on this one disappointment in your life? Maybe you have two. Maybe you have three disappointments in your life. Well, are you going to spend your whole life looking at that? Or are you going to look at God? Through His Word. That's what Psalm 119 is all about, beloved. Real quick. The psalmist in 119, he says, he says, It was good for me when I was afflicted that I might learn from your statutes. You know, one thing that happens in the trial is the true believer is, is driven to the Word, right? We don't watch Oprah. We don't Google. We don't watch the Internet. It doesn't matter what the media says. It's all stupidity and senseless as the, the, the text says. Not all of it, but the vast majority of it. The true believer goes to the Word of God, right? The, the true believer goes to the Word of God. Alright. I want to finish here. I want to finish. i got time. 17 through 19. 
If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have dwelt in the abode of silence. If I should say, my foot has slipped, uh, your loving kindness, O Lord, will hold me. Look at verse 19. It's beautiful. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. Drop down to verse 22. But the Lord has been my stronghold and my God the rock of my refuge. What does the psalmist say? It's bad, man. The evil people, it's bad. They're doing bad stuff. I'm, I'm in adversity. I've been afflicted. He's in the middle of a trial. What is he doing? Someone tell me what he's doing. He's whining, he, he's whining to his mother about it, right? Oh, no, that's not what he's doing. He's looking at God. He's looking at God. He says, when my anxious thoughts multiply, verse 19 again, you are my consolation. What is the consolation of the true believer? It's God Himself, beloved. It's always God Himself. It's what God told Abraham, I'm your reward. I'm your reward. Your reward. Not that I can bless you, which I can, but I am the blessing. I am the blessing. I am your reward. We talked a lot about this Wednesday night at Young Adult Bible Study. And I could give you a thousand verses. Uh, I've got several here, but for sake of time, let me just read maybe my favorite. Psalm 56, 3-4. When I am afraid, David says, I will put my trust in you in God, whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I love it. Let's finish. Verse 20. Can a throne of destruction be allied with you, one which devises mischief by decree? They band themselves together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. Drop down to verse 23. And He has brought back their wickedness upon them and will destroy them in their evil. The Lord our God will destroy them. The evil schemes of popes and presidents and potentates, this is what he's referring to. He's referring to people in authority. These, uh, these thrones of destruction. All the evil that these men and women can do who are in power, it will not stand. God says, do not fear these men and these women, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Those are the words of Jesus as you will recognize. And did you notice in verse 23, He has brought back their wickedness upon Him. What is that principle? What's the, the spiritual principle there? You will reap whatever you it's just like the law of gravity. You can't break the law of gravity. You can't break this spiritual law either. You will reap what you sow. And what does it mean here that God will destroy them? Well, the Hebrew is quite clear. It's not annihilation. It's not, it's not that. The Hebrew, the, the better translation is cut off. God will cut them off. What does it mean in the Old Testament to be cut off? What does it mean? It means to be banished. We're not talking about annihilationism. Some people like to try to make an argument for annihilationism. You really can't make that argument in the Bible with any integrity at all. It's a presupposition. You have to bring that to the text. You cannot find it in the Bible. 
So, beloved, I challenge you lovingly as your pastor, at least for today. You came, for, you came today. You're here today, so I'm your pastor today. And if you come back, I'll be your pastor next Sunday too. But I want to ask you, will you submit to the, the truth of the Word of God even when it's hard, even when it's strong, even when it exceeds your two and a half pounds of gray matter worth of understanding? Will you submit to the truth? Will you proclaim the truth? Will you share the truth with your family and friends and colleagues and neighbors? Will you warn them? Will you warn them? Will you do it? Will you love people enough to tell them the truth? Or, do you have a cartoon Jesus in your head? Do you have a caricature of Jesus in your mind? A Jesus you like better? I warn you and exhort you. Submit yourself to the truth of the Word of God. Jonathan Edwards says a beautiful thing, and I'm done. 18th century American theologian. To those who rebel against God, he says, Why should you not have wrath as great as the love and mercy you have despised? It's a very rational, logical argument. To the rebel, why should you not have wrath as great as the love you have despised? And why why did I use the word pretender several times? Here it is. Psalm 81.15. Listen to to this. I I don't want you to miss this. Psalm 81.15. Those who hate the Lord, oh, they hate the Lord, but they pretend obedience to Him. Right? The pseudo-Christian. The one who will not submit to the truth of the Bible. I like some stuff Jesus says. I'll hang out with the church. But I edit God when necessary. Right? That's what He's talking about. Those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to Him. Then He says, and their time of punishment will be Say, Jim, you need to preach happier sermons. Hey, I just try to preach what the Bible says. That's my job. That's my job. That's what I get the big bucks to do, right? And let me just close with this. Isaiah 66.2. I always use this whenever I'm teaching hard stuff. God says, I will look to this man or woman. This is the man or woman I will look to. To him or to her who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Isaiah 66.2. Will you tremble? Or will you edit? God gives you the choice. You, get, you, you tremble before His Word or you can edit God. And you can pretend until the day you stand before Him and you will be forever sorry you were a pretender, beloved. I say all of this in love. I say it in love. I'm sorry I may have gone a bit long. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, thank You that You speak to us as adults, not as children. You love us enough to speak truth to us. We know what it is. 
We don't have to guess what it is. We know what it is. You've told us what it is. Lord God, I pray there'd be no pretenders in this room tonight. And if there are, I pray that Your Spirit would convict them of this grievous charade. That they would humble themselves before the truth of Your Word. And they would flee to Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. What a great and awesome and amazing God You are. Thank You, Father. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let me close. Let's stand together and I'll close with a benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. If you struggle with these things, go to the podcast site. If you need to, email me, call me, talk to me. I'll do my best to share truth with you. Just don't ignore the truth. Just don't edit the truth. Just don't explain away the truth. Again, these are the words of God incarnate. Have a great week. God bless. Hope to see you back here next week.